Hello, everybody, and welcome back to You Can't Win. This is Tom here, and I'm joined by Don, as usual. And we also have guests Agile Tablet and Alana, and they're joining us to talk about true crime. Uh, I sort of had this idea that uh, women in, in particular are fascinated with true crime stuff, uh, serial killers, and all that kind of good stuff. And I thought it might be kind of fun to talk about that. I personally have been watching some interrogation videos and things like that on YouTube and kind of found it a little bit interesting. So I thought it would be fun to get into it. Alana in particular, I think, is a is mm-hmm. pretty big fan of this kind of stuff, right? Yes. Yeah, so maybe you'll be our resident expert and we will oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> take we'll your break. Yeah. So when you're talking about interrogation videos on, is this on like YouTube or something? Like where are they from, sourced from? Like court release or something? Or Yeah, they're like the official, you know, like it's just raw footage. Um, I don't usually watch just like hours long raw footage of it. That, cause yeah. That's just, you know, not super Pretty entertaining brutal. and stuff the chopped and screwed version is a little better <laughs> yeah. yeah so like there are people on youtube that make like edits uh, and uh some of them have commentary and stuff that they provide which usually isn't especially <laughs> interesting in terms of the analysis but it is just useful in getting like a concise summary of like a story and they like the fast forward through boring stuff listening to or watching rather lately is he always makes me laugh because he's like he'll pause it and be like this is known as the Korpunsky reaction and it's just yeah, like a guy yeah, yeah. like looking up Thanks, or something man. and he, like this this <laughs> indicates a startle reaction and when the when the blood enters the brain they and, you know it's like shut up like oh, I don't yeah. know, they're, they're yeah. just well, so funny it's like funny, it's funny you mentioned that too because I guess like the other day so let me just preface this I was talking a little to you guys about it um but so the main true crime podcast I listened to, and this is going back years at this point. So back then it was much cooler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> probably not. But anyway, I'm a big Sword and Scale fan. And if you have any familiarity with that podcast, it's pretty evident, even just from listening. But there's whole Reddits, you know, subreddits devoted to it, too, about how big of a piece of shit the host is. Um, I think it's... Mike Boudet, Boudet, I don't know how to pronounce it. Boudet, yeah. Yeah, Boudet, yeah. Um, but if you can, like, bracket that part of it, it's actually pretty enjoyable. But anyway, the other day I was listening to one, or maybe like a week ago, he was saying something so off-putting to me <laughs> that I was thinking about why I must like this. Like, how do I square that circle, I guess? And anyway, that, like, led me down the thought of, um, what is he actually doing, Right. Like, why is this more fascinating to me than another podcast? And it's because he's a good storyteller. Yeah. But And like when you mentioned cutting up and kind of getting the meat of like an interrogation or something, there's little like there's little to no analysis, which is kind of what I like more. Yeah. Like I when agree. you mentioned like the shitty, like obviously <laughs> that guy is doing something else. But like <laughs> the analysis is less interesting to me than the story. So mm-hmm. I tend to like veer more towards podcasts or shows where it's just very factual yeah. and it's following a certain narrative. And, um, but as far as like the analysis side of it, I, again, I don't really want to hear that. <laughs> like some his, guy. Yeah. And his analysis is usually quite obnoxious. I really don't yeah. like, and it, the, the thing that I liked about it is very similar to what you were saying. He usually only like at, 
in the beginning when he's setting up the story and at the end when he needs to, you know, do like a little conclusion, that's when I am more liable to like just turn it off because yeah. I don't care what he has to say and he annoys me. But um, the thing that I like about what he does is he uses a ton of raw material. He uses lots of um, audio of interrogations and newspaper clippings and um, interviews with people who were central to the story, like after the fact. And I just like that it's a lot of just, you know, like you said, like presented without commentary. I like that, you know? Yeah. There was a podcast I was listening to that was sort of similar. Uh, It was about the Johnny Gosh case, like the Franklin scandal. Oh, yeah. That was interesting because there is a lot of unreliable sort of like evidence uh, around that. So it's uh, it's interesting to kind of like she presents what what we have on it and then digs into like, okay, well, this is what we know about the person. And this is where things get a little bit, you know, into a gray area about like how 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 verifiable is this information and that kind of thing. So. Uh, yeah, I find that interesting, and I think it's also the stories uh, for me that's that's interesting yeah. to, to dig into that. I'm, I'm not really sure what the kernel is, like what's so fascinating about these kinds of things. I, I think that maybe part of it is that you can kind of see it as like a real – like it happens it happens in a situation or in a context where you can really relate to it. Like it's it's generally some sort of thing that you can kind of understand like you if it starts off let's say it's like some uh, married couple and and the husband kills the wife or something like that you you know it sets it up as like this this couple they had this you know relationship they got married you you can instantly relate to that they they're real people you can kind of immediately pick up on like what's going on there and then it just takes this left turn which seems so far from like the reality that you know most people live so but sometimes there's an element of like, um, you know, exploitation genre, too, because a lot of times there will be um, it, it, it isn't necessarily identifiable. It'll be like this man who owned a pig farm was attacking indigenous prostitutes or something like that. Like that's totally right. outside of my and that is a real guy, by the way. Um, and, you know, it's it's not something that I relate to in my life experience at all. So where does that come from? Is it coming from a different place or the same place? I, I don't really know. I don't have an answer to that. Yeah, that's a good point. There was one I was watching recently that was about, I forget where it was. It was Louisiana, I think. It was like this 15-year-old was killed and uh, beaten to death with a baseball bat pretty brutally. And a friend of that kid confessed to it but so did the father of that kid. So the father Whoa. of the, the kid who confessed. So they both confessed to it saying that the other did not do it. And oh, uh, it kind of went back and forth. And it was like really bizarre. Uh, they they both like recanted their confessions and then said, no, I actually did do it. And they kept kind of going back and forth. And uh, it, it turned out that like the father said that he did it so that he would be in jail instead of his son. And then his right. son ended up being like this meth head, like loser anyways, who was constantly in jail for other reasons. <laughs> so it ended up like not being for nothing. And that's why he kept like recanting on his like, well, I, I said I did it because of, you know, I was trying to keep my son out of jail and then he's in jail anyways. So, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, uh, 
yeah, so like that's a situation that I can't relate to really at all. And uh, that was, I, I don't know, I guess it's just interesting to kind of try to figure out what the psychology is going on there. You know, like w- what are the people right. thinking? What, what are their different motivations? So maybe that's a big part of the fascination. Yeah, I think whether or not they, uh, someone as a, like a, a certain type of criminal is identifiable or not, you, there is that quest to connect with them on some level or to highlight the disconnection and be like, mm-hmm. what the hell? How could this person even exist? And that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. There's two that come to mind here that are pretty different from anything I can relate to. So there's one which is known as the Facebook killer. Uh, I think that got pretty famous. Uh, this guy was like an amateur boxer with an undefeated record. And he kind of fancied himself like kind of this jack of all trades, sort of a renaissance man. Like he was writing these bizarre self-help books, self-publishing them and thought of himself as like this entrepreneur, like success win sort of a guy. And uh, he ended up killing his wife at some point, And then like they had an argument or something like that. And, uh, posted it on Facebook, like took a picture of her body and put it on Facebook and was, he, he ended up like defending himself in court, of course, because he has the confidence to do that. that. Sounds like the type. Yep. And, uh, (laughs) his, uh, his defense of like posting on Facebook was like that he wanted to just tell the family, like that was his way of, you know, he didn't want to hide from it. Like it was sort of like an honorable thing in his mind. And mm-hmm. uh, he was clearly kind of crazy. Um, once he was in prison for a while, he just went completely nuts. And yeah, like <laughs> I remember one thing they showed in the video was, so he he eventually did hire another lawyer, like a lawyer to represent him. And he was saying all kinds of bizarre stuff. And the lawyer was like, you know, his uh, his personality and mental state is not on trial here. We're trying to look at the case. Like, <laughs> let's leave aside what, what he says, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that was pretty Well, that funny. reminds me, actually, the most recent, this is going back a lot of episodes, but the most recent Sword and Scale episode I listened to was about, um, there was, I guess, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the story. I didn't know it before I had heard it on the, the show, but there was a guy who obviously very mentally unwell and as they say like something snapped you know that Mm -hmm. one day he's on a greyhound um but you know yeah right i know the story (laughs) yeah and ends up i guess they take like a smoke break somewhere has some kind of very polite innocuous interaction with another guy on the bus like i think he's smoking a cigarette and like he gives him a nod or something and um for whatever reason like once they're they're back on the bus, he basically just like hacks this guy up on yeah. this crowded bus. Ends up like and I mean like it's gory and dark in a way that I don't think a lot of like the murders they focus on are because this guy was like eating parts of his body in front of people, um, like playing with like I fr- I, I don't remember the specific details, but he ate an eyeball of the guy like really and it, he did yeah. it with a very intimate weapon too. So it's not like, you know, you're shooting someone a kind of a, a level few hundred removed, feet away. Yeah. Yeah. From the actual intimacy of the crime. So it was especially like unsettling. Um, was but, that in Canada or yes. was that the, yes. the bus? Okay. Yes. Sure. That was a Canada yeah. one. Um, yeah. But that the way that podcast episode went, they ended up, he ended up walking free. And I'm not really sure. I remember how so that he, happened. He was. Um, 
he was schizophrenic and he was either not he had never had any sort of episode like that any other time in his life. Like, he, yes. I think he was, like, in his 40s or something. So it's not like he was just on the cusp where these uh, symptoms were starting to show themselves. Where you can sort of, yeah, you see the through right. line. He had never had any sort of, like, a- any sort of extreme violence in his behavior, um, whether or not he was medicated, I think. I want to say it may not have even been known at that point. And mm-hmm. he had a break, and this occurred, and afterwards, he didn't seem to, like, it was It was a very clear distinction between mm-hmm. when he was in this state that he committed the crime in versus who he normally is, and it really didn't seem fabricated. It was not the case of, no, like, yeah, his, it definitely his lawyer didn't. just trying to, you know, finagle a deal for him or something. It seemed very sincerely distinct, and... He was very, clearly, he was very upset by what he had done. I don't think he had any conscious, like, he, I, if he had memory of it, it was... I, I don't think uh, he did. I think that was one of the things. Like, he didn't remember yeah. doing it, and then when he found out, he was, you know... Aghast. Yeah. He, he, yeah. He, he, and I mean, yeah. as, a, like, a relatively sane person, I can't imagine something that horrific happening and your psyche just not splintering. Like, that seems totally valid to me and possible and i mean that happens if you're to believe it like quite often in these like extremely violent crimes um but anyway just to your point about the mental illness aspect of it like that was kind of where the podcast episode went and they had um the mother of the victim on there at both the beginning and the end and at the beginning i remember thinking to myself like god damn she is taking this well she talks about it in a way that's like very factual not taking it well but like i can't even imagine being able to like utter the details of it ever yeah um it's just so like traumatic obviously but at the end she had she was speaking about the outcome and you know how he was basically going to be reintegrated into society as a normal like functional most semi-functional person and if he were to cross you know into the u.s say he has no felony attached to his name right he can mm-hmm. be free to do that so they were taught i mean the host again he hates the mentally ill like yeah. throughout the entire you know show and that's very evident but he was talking about it being a failure of the justice system which i, I don't know how i feel about that um and i don't I mean, necessarily what, what is the what would a success be here well that's 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 exactly you know, my point too. Uh, I remember Jeffrey Dahmer's mother, his birth mother, famously saying after he was killed in jail, basically like bludgeoned to death, she said, like, you fucking murdered him. He's he's gone. You bludgeoned him to pieces. Like, what else do you want? It's over. You got what you wanted. Yeah. And and that that always stuck with me because it's like, what do you want? Like, what is rehabilitation yeah. or what is like paying the you know, a comparable price for someone's life? Like I don't know. Obviously, nobody knows the answer. Maybe that's part of why, you know, we're talking about, like, what is it about these cases? Maybe because there doesn't seem to be, in a lot of these, there is no earthly justice that we can imagine that would be Mm -hmm. sufficient. Maybe that's part of it. Where, like, if you... You know, even even if some, you know, it's the kind of thing where someone gets like eight consecutive life sentences or something like that. Like, 
clearly that's a gesture. That's nothing functional about their punishment, but it's yeah. an indication of it's symbolic, how, like how right how far they've transgressed. Yes, right. Um, so maybe that's part of the interest at some point that that like how how do you get justice? You know, some people really you know have the urge like oh, lock them away lock them away we want them away for the for their whole life and others have more of a blood interest like you know they want to see them dead or something like that but in either of those cases at a certain point justice does not seem to be being fulfilled right yeah it's just insufficient nothing in this world could... yeah but the point being that nothing like we can fathom whether it's you know yeah. execution or like you said consecutive life sentences or getting murdered in prison, like whatever the case, I mean, there's no solution. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's muddied even further when the person, you know, in this case doesn't remember doing it and kind of retreats back to being a normal person. Um, yeah. Like how yeah. do you, how do you deal with something like that? But it's also weird to me that someone would be out for this guy's blood too. Like the fact that he, I think his, the way that, that it worked with him was that you know he he had to undergo psychiatric treatment and i think the idea was that if he stays on his meds this sort of thing is not going to happen again mm -hmm. and then he was released by the state and that's where the the problem comes in because it's like well if no one's keeping track of this guy might this happen again but sure supposing that you know he has like a po who's keeping track of him and making sure that he stays on his meds or something like that I think someone like Boudet still wants this guy to suffer. It For doesn't sure. matter that he's not going to do it again, uh, you know, in this hypothetical. Um, he's not content with the fact that this guy really sincerely was a different person during the act. You know what I mean? No, and I, I think that's also, I mean, talking about Mike specifically as the host <laughs> and what he, like, just, you know, as a fan of his show, admittedly, right. um, having listened to a lot of it, like, he... I don't think he understands the capacity for evil in people as much as he may gesture towards it or act yeah. like he does. Like he doesn't yeah. understand that that's really not, I mean, it's an aberration, but it's not, you know, just to label someone as a monster. It's your kind of obviously undermining meaning. Yes. So, and so much like, and that's part of like what appeals to me about the true crime genre in general is as much as I can understand why anyone likes it, it's like the storytelling aspect. You can see things and start start to like feel like you're coming closer to solving the puzzle or the narrative of it. Like if you start at the beginning, say, you can yeah. see, you know, someone kind of deteriorating mentally or acting funny or there's you can kind of come to terms with like certain things that happened in their life, whether they lost a job or ruined a marriage or whatever it might be. But like you still it, it's still like you can only come so close yeah so i wanted to yeah just one of the things about this uh this sort of case is that it's interesting because for in canada one of the big things obviously is that our justice system is a little bit it's it's only slightly more sort of lenient on terms of like prison sentences <laughs> and stuff like that like we have we have you know that's part of the case that like you know we have all these uh it's it's a very very strong belief amongst conservatives in Canada that people get off lightly on everything. Uh, and um, so that's part of it. I, like a lot of these stories that I've heard of, uh, like that, you know, the person on the bus and that and uh, some, you know, Paul Bernardo and things like that, like are 
they're they're very mythic in Canada. Like the people talk about them a lot mm-hmm. on on the news and stuff uh, because of this this idea that like they think people are getting away with something. Um, but about the mental health thing uh, specifically, it's interesting. I like personally uh, in the past I had where I would go, um, you know, like as an outpatient at a hospital for similar sort of stuff, like you know for right. early psychosis and that. And um, so a lot of the patients were people that. Um, you know, had maybe had a break in their lives or something, or had some sort of problems, and uh, a lot of them had to be hospitalized and things like that for it for similar kind of things. And it was interesting because it did have this kind of like tone a lot of the time where they're like, you know, uh, people would say, oh, you know, the you see on TV that anyone that has these illnesses or whatever is like a psycho killer and all that kind of stuff, right? But it was interesting because they kind of tried to overdo it in the other direction in a way that didn't really seem plausible to anyone in the room, really, uh, kind of thing. They'd be kind of be like, oh, you know, they just, uh, you know, they say all these things that people are violent, but they're not violent. And then you, like, hear, like, uh, you know, Code White or whatever they are, like the the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the um, nurses being attacked every day and stuff. And you're kind of like, well, it's very uh, strange, like, this whole... Uh, you know, because if you're if you're someone that's like, well, it only happened once, you still probably be like, well, if I'm sitting beside them on the bus, I, you know, yeah, yeah. You're, you're <laughs> maybe like, specifically uh, a bus, yeah. <laughs> yeah you, know, <laughs> you, uh, um, yeah, like the fact no, that but, it only happened, yeah, sure. Yeah, I think that's totally valid too, and that's yeah. you know that that's fascinating to me. Um, not even in the sense sense of like, okay, well, what is justice, but. I mean, again, like to go back on the Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, Joyce, his mother's quote, like, what is it that you want? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like, and I don't know. I don't I don't know what the right answer is in a lot of cases. But if you believe in any sort of rehabilitation, then you have to, you know, I, I mean, at, at some point you have to trust that people won't just resort to that same kind of violent sure. behavior. And there is yeah. a chance at rehabilitation. But yeah. I don't know. I, I think in the U.S. there's a kind of a problem with like a positive feedback loop because there's kind of the the belief that like Donald was talking about with um, conservative uh, folks generally feeling like, you know, people are getting off too easy, that kind of thing. Um, but since the excoriation of our mental health facilities in, uh, you know, in the Reagan years in the U.S., um, there there isn't a, a robust system in place that can yeah. help people who their mental illness might manifest in a in a way that could could harm others. Sure. There there isn't something there that could mm-hmm. could help them. So then of course then people you know have have a little bit more of a leg to stand on when they say well rehabilitation doesn't work. Well yeah, cuz there is no fucking rehabilitation anymore. It doesn't there's nothing that helps these people, you know. Yeah, there's yeah. a so system it, that functions yeah. as So it, then there's that, like yeah. a positive feedback loop that's like, well, we got it. We got to throw him in jail. We got to kill him. We got to do, you know. And it's like, well, did we even really try the rehabilitation portion of yeah. that, you know? Yeah. I don't know, it makes me sad. I think that that's yeah. I, Tom and I have talked about this before with like the whole issue about rehabilitation and how uh there is you kind of maybe want to make it like sometimes the argument too easy where you're like uh well if we had rehabilitation then we wouldn't have any crime at all or you know like we did it well (laughs) enough if we did it well enough then people just need the social supports and all that kind of stuff right i think that for like real rehabilitation that you kind of have to have that you know buffer of trust where you're like okay well sometimes things are going to go terribly wrong here but yeah, that we yeah. need to kind of keep with the program here because otherwise uh, we're going to get into the situation where 
barbarism. Uh, yeah, bar- barbarism. Or yeah, barbarism, yeah. not barbary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pirates. <laughs> yeah, because I don't really have that. I mean, I, I guess it's because you know, maybe no serious crimes ever being committed against me or something. But like, uh, I don't have that like vengeance urge. So it's strange yeah. to me to learn about it in other people. Like it, it doesn't like the idea of wanting someone to go to jail just for just because they did a crime and not because of some maybe social goal like you need to get yeah, them help yeah. or something it doesn't like clue, like it just doesn't make sense to me i'm like where I did agree. that come from so especially know? with people who haven't had anything terrible happen to them where is yeah. that coming from <laughs> you know yeah. that's something i think a lot about too because i was raised quaker mm-hmm. so mm. as far as like you know, believing in justice and believing in the inherent goodness of people. I mean, on paper, I'd love to say like one thing, which is that I believe that everybody, you know, there's no such evil that exists in people where they're just malicious for the sake of malice. Like, I mean, say what you will about that, but I I don't know that I'd react like a good Quaker if somebody murdered someone close to me. Like, I, I can't imagine doing so, honestly. Yeah. But like it's still committed a commitment to that belief that you know people can be rehabilitated and lead productive you know sure. lives and lives of meaning. But I don't know. I, personally, I think I'd go fucking nuts. Sure. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just knowing myself. Like, but I do adhere to the belief that people you know on paper again can be better. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of like both of you were saying that you have to be there has to be some sort of commitment to rehabilitation, even when it fails, because um, otherwise you're just shutting the door on all of it. Right. Like if, if you are just out for vengeance, then you are cutting off all the cases where, where someone can be redeemed and, and can come back. And I think that, you know, even, even if personally I might not react that way, if something terrible happened to a family member, um, seeing the cases where uh, someone who has, you know, done something terrible, like committed murder, have been touched by people like Quakers who have uh, reached out to them while they're in prison or something Mm -hmm. like that, and have actually sincerely like repented and changed. I I mean, seeing that is beautiful, right? (laughs) I mean, I know it just it's like a tugging at the heartstrings kind of thing. But it is really uh, inspiring to see that that can actually happen. And I don't want that to be gone. No, for sure. And I mean, that you know, you hear about it a lot, but um, because it's, I got, you honestly probably hear about it a lot because it's so infrequent, but you know, the parents or the family members of murderers um, actually getting involved in the case and the defense of the person who, you know, the the perpetrator of whatever crime it might, might have been. And, you know, they, there's a correspondence while they're in prison or they, you know, become the closest people to these murderers or whatever, you know, they are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it you know it does happen, and it's it's amazing. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't know that I would be able to do that, but I would hope. Um, right. And also, like right. another aspect of it, not to get too far off track here, but I mean, at a certain point, it's happened, right? And you have to move on as a person yourself, whether you're a parent or a friend or whatever. Um. So what what does your life look like after that? Yeah, you have to mm-hmm. decide. Um, and I think that has. You know, that's a lot of the logic behind trying to make something good of a tragedy. You know, starting a correspondence or a relationship with the person who committed a violent crime and, you know, trying to see something good come out of it, whatever that might look like. Yeah. 
That's this is funny. I I I expected when we said that we were going to talk about true crime, I was like, we're going to talk about all these wackos and their kooky cases, and, <laughs> and now we're like talking about the nature yeah. of justice and human well, heart so and much stuff. To say about all of it, it's you can true. Really go yeah. in a million different yeah. directions. Um, <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I had mentioned when we were you know setting up for this that I wanted to touch on just because it fascinates me personally. Um, is just like the murderabilia side that comes along with a lot of these podcasts, podcasts especially, I think, because I mean, it almost becomes like a kitschy, like Etsy type genre, <laughs> right? Where like you start to like, I mean, you listen to these podcasts and you get really into like true crime as, you know, quote unquote true crime. And then you become like a fan almost. Mm -hmm. um, and something that I think about a lot is like, what's an appropriate level of that? And who's to say what's appropriate? And is it inappropriate, if ever, to, you know, if they're alive, say, like, correspond with these criminals? Mm. Is it inappropriate to buy their art? Is it inappropriate to wear their face on a shirt? Like, you know, and what elements decide that like you know because i, I think just by taste probably it's inappropriate to wear a murderous <laughs> face <on your> shirt. <laughs> yeah, that's a, but that's like a, a like an interesting point to me because sure no you're right i have just like because i like this stupid bullshit like a bunch of stickers on my laptop that i'm looking at right now of like Dahmer and um john wing gacy and ted bundy and you know but I don't think that's a tasteful display. But I don't. Think I also don't think like it's necessarily like. I don't know. It's. I don't think I'm doing anything that horrible. This is stuff that fascinates me for whatever reason. Um, but I always wonder if I would feel differently if they were still alive, or sure. if I knew a victim or was yeah. tangentially related to the that crime in any way. That would be pretty weird if you had a sticker. Oh, it would be fucking weird like, of someone who killed your friend and you're <laughs> get, well, getting his face on a T-shirt. Yeah. If it is, why is that any weirder than me doing it now? Because that's relatively commonplace, at least with the proliferation of true crime as a genre, um, podcast, movies, docu series, whatever it might look like. Like, I mean, merch for serial killers exists. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah, it's it's not uncommon to see people with you know Dahmer fucking beaded jewelry, like, and <laughs> I mean that was sort of what got me thinking about um, this in the first place was you know a lot of it's so closely related to like women and Twitter and the whole like true crime podcast stuff, and they're like, oh, I'm dark, I love murders, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But I mean, that's that's become huge and it makes you wonder why. And you, it also makes me wonder, like, is there an appropriate, harmless, you know, if, if not just tasteless way of engaging with that kind of thing? Well, like, I don't understand it really at all. So like, what, what do you get out of having those stickers on your laptop, for example? Like, what, what is it? I don't, uh, I'll be honest. I don't fucking know. <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, like, it's interesting to think about. And I could tell you why, but I, I don't I don't know better than anyone. Like, is it is it a funny thing? Or is it maybe a little like for me, I just it's an interest of, of mine, like anything else, right? So mm -hmm. it's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about and reading about and watching. And I, I guess 
the closest I can come is just like a marker of my interests, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Mm. And I don't necessarily think that's like an interesting or adequate explanation of why, but that's also like, you know, you can say the same for much of anything that people do or don't like. I mean, like this gets into like Funko pop territory for me. Like, <laughs> I don't yeah. fucking get it, but like, right. go yeah. with God. Exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> but that's why it's, interesting to me is because I, I don't know i don't know the answer to a lot of this do you think there's any element of like a hero worship sort of a thing going on like obviously people generally who have this sort of stuff aren't like worshiping their heroes away like a sports fan you know has like mm-hmm. a poster of their favorite player up or it's not the that exact kind of thing but there's some i don't know i wonder if there's something sort of to it where it's like this person is is so free do they just did what they wanted to or something like on that I don't know. level i don't know and it's it's something that like i said i am i don't know if my response is necessarily going to be that fascinating because the bottom line is i don't know the answer but i do think like i don't know i don't know i i think that well specifically for me i was always very interested in Dahmer because i feel yeah. like with Dahmer there was um an element of self-awareness, but also like confusion that he was very open about. So there's a lot of raw material also with Dahmer where like you were talking about interrogations and documentaries and he was alive to talk about a lot of this and he was very open about it. And so were his parents. Um, So for me, it's always been kind of a fascination with how they dealt with, you know, their impulses and their crimes and that was more interesting to me than, I guess, just the crime itself. And also, I mean, when I first started engaging with true crime, I was much younger, but I was always interested in specifically like psychology and law as it relates to crime. So I remember, I don't know, like fifth or sixth grade asking for like one Christmas, I was asked to make a Christmas list and I had a bunch of books that I had found. And I got my number one on my list, which I still have and cherish, was a book called uh, Sexual Homicide. And it was, (laughs) well, first of all, my parents bought this for me as a child. Yeah, yeah. But it was an actual, um, it was an actual, like, I totally skipped the, you know, like, sexier novels that people would write about, like, these awful crimes, you know, just like the mass market paperback stuff. And Mm -hmm. I went, this book specifically was an actual inventory for FBI, like, profilers. Oh, Mm -hmm. wow. And it was a lot of, like, very small case studies. And it was, like, a tool, essentially. Yeah. Like a diagnostic, like, criminal criminal psychology? Yeah. And I I think the way that I stumbled upon it was um, I was very interested in Robert Ressler, I don't um, think I know who that is. He was a very like old school FBI guy who basically, I, what's that show? Mind Hunter. Yeah. It, yeah. I think it's basically like, I don't know if it's based on him or if it's just taking, you know, inspiration from that whole thing. But like he developed the idea of profiling serial killers oh, okay. and engaging with them to actually learn about like, you know, how do you identify one before it's too late? Right. Um. So I was, you know, interested in him and a lot that he had written a lot of, um, you know, books about that. And eventually, I guess I stumbled upon like, you know, like I said, it was like an inventory almost about how to understand, you know, it it touched upon things like bedwetting 
and you know mutilating animals and and I, behaviors that you can kind of identify in children that you should probably worry about <laughs> um <laughs> but but it was it was so fascinating to me because it was an effort better than i had seen before to understand these people in a way that, that like a lot of true crime today doesn't right so like we talked about podcasts being especially podcasts that focus on the storytelling and like the narrative of a crime um, mm-hmm. and don't really get into the analysis. Like I like the analysis side when it's done by the right person, I guess. True. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> True. I, you know? I, I, I kind of gravitate towards that, but anyway. Um, what do you think of these sort of like turn, I guess, I'm not sure if it's a recent turn, but I've, I've seen a lot of debate about it in sort of like the Netflix series and all these series where it seems almost like uh like an anti-romance or something, right? Like it's like they're they're trying to focus on them uh, murderers as being like uh, seductive, or mm-hmm. uh, um, and it seems almost like uh, you know, like it, it's bound up with sexuality at least. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of yeah. like people mm-hmm. are watching them for this. Uh, you said you kind of avoided that that like the novelizations and all that kind of stuff um, when you were younger. But is that do you see that as like a problem with that? that you know or is that just kind of a it's part I don't of the know. parcel again i'm i'm like a shitty guest because i don't fucking know the answer to any of this <laughs> but not that anyone does but i tend to avoid like there was famously that one with um what's his face playing ted bundy zach oh. efron recently oh, really yeah, yeah. wow yeah, on netflix and that was huge and i saw both sides of it kind of hash out on twitter where mm-hmm. You know, you have like the true crime fans who are very into it and thought it was like, you know, a fascinating way to tell a story that people may not know. And then there was the other side of that, which is fucking like shirtless Zac Efron playing Ted Bundy. And, you know, (laughs) like, fuck, what are you doing? Right. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, it was drawing on the same things that actually happened when Ted Bundy was like around and murdering is that he was like this seductive guy. And I mean, even during his trial, I think he represented himself. Um, He did in Florida. Yeah, at least for some of it. And, um, you know, very charismatic and smart and attractive. And women, you know, they were like head over heels about this, you know, horrible murderer. And I mean, that's a that's a problem that you can see like semi frequently. I mean, there's women who. Um, reach out to these men in jail and start relationships with them. And even like Charles Manson, you know, he, he mm-hmm. ended up getting married. Uh, and I, just to your point about like the sexuality and like the seductive part of it, like, I mean, that's, that's been evident since this was a thing, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, the, that kind of, I, I can see this in myself. Like I remember when I was younger, um, like, young teenager maybe like you know 13 years old or something I was really into this kind of stuff and I remember having like evaluate like mentally evaluated certain killers as like like I thought Richard Ramirez was a very handsome guy but his killing style was just chaotic (laughs) and I just it was not sexy (laughs) at all yeah and you know I was more interested exactly and I needed someone who would you know decapitate someone and take care of the head later or something like that there we go that's getting sexier what the hell you know and the thing is that but that's what i I mean a lot of the the response to this when i think about it is like what the fuck is (laughs) fucked up yeah 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 yeah. well i don't know the, the thing that that 
I try to be more aware of now is that that's already in the culture somewhere. Like I, I wasn't born being fascinated with serial killers. Why was I as a 13 year old evaluating the sexiness of them? I, I don't think that that's something that is, uh, I don't think you can blame like organic. Kid. Yeah. 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 I don't think you can blame the kid for doing it, for, for feeling that way. They're picking up something that's being put down somewhere. You know, like that's I and I feel like that's kind of true. Like as a kid, I sorry if this is TMI, but um, I remember um, when I was in second grade, I would get on the phone with my friend and we would make up what I now recognize as like BDSM stories. Like, what the hell? Like, what? Yeah, oh, I couldn't <laughs> how did, that. How did we come up with that? Like, and I had never, I don't think she had either, but I, I don't think either of us had ever been exposed to like pornography of that nature or anything mm-hmm. like that or pornography at all. And it, we were, it's already there. Like there are elements even in like fairy tales that play on, you know, these sorts of things that you, you get acculturated into. So I, you know, at the same time, like that I ask myself like why am I interested in this I'm not going to totally blame myself I would blame myself if I indulged it too much um, because now I recognize it as something that is harmful that should not be um, you know enhanced in my personality but I don't blame people for being in- interested in it in the first place because yeah. we're 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 just attuned to something that's already there in the culture well that, I have like, something dynamics that, that are there I can one up you as far as embarrassing TMI children's stories oh, go. Here we go. Here um, we go. So, uh, some people may have seen this on Twitter. I really hope it never makes the rounds again, just for my sake. <laughs> but just to the point of like this being specifically attractive because it's scandalizing and dark and like, I don't know, like off putting and, but it's like, titillating right yeah so (laughs) fucking jesus christ um when molly and i were real young i'm talking like second grade we would put uh pillowcases over our heads and pretend to be the kkk (laughs) to each other because it was so evil to us the idea was so evil that we were like enamored with the idea that people could do something so terrible and yeah. we were, it was like our way of working out like okay this happened and like it was so scandalizing but like exciting for a child to think that people have the capacity for that like i i don't know what the reason was there like we were also just two fucking freaks but like yeah. it was also a way of kind of like I, I don't know. I don't know. Like coming close to understanding that, like as as two child, two idiot second grade children can with fucking pillowcases. <laughs> but like we, it, it's it's like an attempt at grappling with something that's really dark and yeah, um, kind of incomprehensible. Yeah, yeah. I think you're onto something there. I think that that maybe is kind of a a big motivation behind like any interest in in this kind of stuff. I think there's something about that, like the stickers on your computer or, or just like a, you know, that kind of thing. I think there's, you know, I was talking about the hero worship before. That's kind of what I was getting at the idea that like a person can be like that, like can go to that extreme in whatever way, you know, I think there's some kind of interest in that just generally. I think you might Mm -hmm. be onto something with that in the, um, the school shooter genre Mm -hmm. of that, which I actually mm-hmm. think is kind of fake. I think most of the people who get who get into that are like doing it because they fancy themselves dark, um, kind of like Alana was talking about. But um, 
you know, like in, in more recent years, like there's, you know, cults of worship of, of teens getting really into school shooters. Mm-hmm. And part of the rationale, at least that they profess, is that sort of hero worship where that it's the, you know, maybe it's the idea of like letting go uh, of, you know, norms or uh, morality or something. And then they get into that. But I don't think that's the case with all true crime fascination. No. And I, I think too, I, that's something I spent a lot of time thinking about, especially with that semi-recent um, media pushback when it comes to publicizing these killers. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't say his name. Don't show his face. That's what they want. You're giving them the yeah. fame they so desperately crave. All right. Well, you turn right. on fucking Netflix and you can watch, you know, hours and hours and hours and hours of you know, if you type in Ted Bundy on Netflix, you're going to get like 15 different things. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and I don't necessarily think that that's an awful thing either inherently, but I mean, it's just a weird, like, what is the proper way to engage when something horrible happens? Sure, like, are you supposed sure. to, and does that change if they're dead versus alive? And, you know, th- there's other elements yeah. that I think about a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, even look at like the Columbine thing, you know, that you know, Tumblr people like right, getting right. weird about that and yeah. doing like fucking blingy glitters, like, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. the Columbine shooters. Like, but that's, that's like, it's part of the, the genre that's kind of unavoidable. Like I said, I mentioned Etsy earlier, but again, you can type in any serial killer and find posters and shirts and goofy coffee mugs and jewelry. <laughs> and I don't understand even in myself, the impulse to display that kind of stuff. Mm. But it's so, I mean, it's, it's like all over the place. Yeah. I think things have definitely taken a turn where they're like kids talking about, Oh, this is a a way of like, uh, you know, worshiping people being free of of all that kind of stuff. I know I was kind of getting at that maybe being like a genuine motivation at times for some people but if you are actively like saying that's why you're into something i don't think that's true i think that yeah you know, like a that put on you yeah exactly you you are you know you're trying to make yourself more interesting it kind of reminds me of like teenagers getting into like the church of satan or something like that yeah. like it's just really yeah. kind of corny and, and stuff like that yeah um one thing i did want to mention uh just to kind of drop a bombshell i guess is that it never it's always women interested in in the this sort of aspect of things that you never really see guys kind of I, I mean there aren't that many female serial killers and stuff like that so maybe that's one element of it but you don't really that see get like caught mm-hmm. oh, yeah. maybe that's it <laughs> i will say that i do have an eileen warno sticker on my laptop too so just to i i feel a great degree of sympathy for her actually well and and that's something else that i've i've thought about quite a bit is um especially in relation to like these mass shooters um and how they're perceived i I think personally with serial killers is especially being interested in Dahmer specifically there's a way that or there's the idea that it couldn't have gone another way like Mm. this was this was inevitable considering how their psyche was developing and the urge just getting more and more intense whereas if you think about like a mass shooter for example, like you, you kind of have the inherent idea that they made a bad choice and it could have gone another way. Mm-hmm. Like they uh, should not have done yeah. that. That's a bad yeah. thing to do. And they didn't have to light up a school or whatever that it is that they did. Whereas with these serial killers, I tend to put them in a box in my head, at least where this was like an inevitable thing in their development. 
which I don't necessarily know if that's true, but that's at least how I kind of categorize them. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good distinction to draw. Um, And even within killers, I think there's a distinction. There are certain ones where Mm -hmm. uh, the focus is on their childhood and their upbringing and what the warning signs were and that kind of thing. And then there's lots of others where, you know, we love a nature versus nurture story. And Mm -hmm. we love trying to tease out that difference. That's, you know, that's just kind of how it goes. But there's also, I mean, it's hard for me to because I am, you know, I am a Westerner, I am part of this culture, it's hard for me to tease this other thing out. But there's, this is so culturally determined, too. Like, nowhere, first of all, the concept of a serial killer um, is very new. It's only a few decades old. Mm -hmm. Um, And even though there are people who we can retroactively go back and uh, identify, yeah, right, right, Gilles de Ray and, and people like that. Um, who we can be like, oh, they were serial killers. You know, that's that's maybe not how they were thought of at the time. And they certainly weren't, it doesn't seem to have been as common <laughs> as it is now. And um, I've mentioned this movie before on, uh, on this podcast, actually, but um, Memories of Murder, the Korean movie, this is a fictionalized version of murders that did actually occur in South Korea in the 80s. Um, and I think into maybe early 90s. And they were the first serial killer murders in Korea. And mm-hmm. that that's also something to think about. Is it is it just a matter of diagnostic criteria that now that we have like, you know, the FBI profile idea, yeah. now we now all of a sudden we're seeing them? Or is it something that was a phenomenon that actually did not exist in this place? And now that there's enough interfacing with Western culture, it's like an imported behavior. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I don't know. That, 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 that's no, what, that's I, part I, of I've why never really that movie is good. That, but yeah, I mean, that's that's a fascinating thing, too. Um, yeah. The fact that this is like a modern definition that we retroactively, you know, slap people with. Um, yeah. And, and thinking about, you know, I think it was Freud. I mean, I'm sure there's a number of people who have talked about it, but like this kind of violent crime being inherent to any society, like it's mm. going to happen. Um, and how much of that is based on, you know, the, I don't know if it's like the superfluousness of true crime and mimicking or modeling or something like that. Mm-hmm. And how yeah. much of this is actually just inherent to human nature. Uh, there's a, yeah, there's an interesting thing to kind of look at there around Whenever you have a, a society, uh, it's organized around some sort of idea of these people have the right to like there's authorized violence, right? Like authorized right. use of force and that kind of thing. And we sort of like accept that because it establishes a sort of peace otherwise, mm-hmm. right? So instead of having everyone just solve their own problems with like vigilante violence and stuff like that, we have like police and the justice system and all that kind of stuff. And when we don't like the way things are going like you know like right now for example we want to reform those systems or create new ones or, or you know adjust things in those terms and, and it's to reestablish like a, a an acceptable level of just like normality mm-hmm. and uh i don't know I, I think there's something to be said about just looking at this sort of violence like it, it's it's uh maybe the the real fascination is that it breaks from that normality, like if it was done in some sort of way that was acceptable, like as a sort of like a status quo, 
it, it wouldn't take on that as much interest from people you know like if sure. if somehow we had like a a sanctioned serial killer there was like there's one guy that's yeah. allowed to do this so if you have like <laughs> you want yeah, yeah. to get killed you go to him and he takes care of it uh maybe people yeah. wouldn't be so horrified you know for me like serial killing or serial killers like you know the big names is always interesting because it's just kind of violence for the sake of violence right there's no mm. justification for it if there is ever one um but yeah, there's no like reasoning behind it. And other than they're driven to do this and can't fight that impulse. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it, and even just this isn't true of all true crime, of course, because you can watch something like Snapped and see women who kill their husbands. And maybe there's more of a justification than in the case of someone <laughs> like Ted Bundy. I don't know. But um, it's it's like a puzzle. I mean, it, it's it's inherently fascinating because it makes no sense. There's no mm -hmm. like line of logic that it, some a serial killer is following necessarily. Um, yeah, it's yeah, just well, some kind of inherent impulse. Maybe it's something like it, you know, maybe in some <laughs> cases, uh, the it's the the fact that they aren't the authorized violence person. Like they 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 aren't authorized to use violence, and that's what what kind of like pushes them to want to do it, kind of a thing. What? Well, mm -hmm. you know, when you were talking about the authorized violence agents, um, there are there are plenty of people who get involved in those roles so that they can have a shield for their actions. Yeah, mm -hmm. there are plenty of serial killers who were cops, um, yep. and there are also people like um, uh, the Iceman, Richard Kolinsky, Kuklinski, Kolinsky. Anyway, uh, he was um, like Miss a. Him. He was a contract killer for the mafia and stuff like that, where, you know, you, you so, so again, that, that still brings up the question of where is this coming from? Because is it just mm -hmm. that these people had the urge in them and they found a, a professional outlet that or like a way to sublimate so? it? Yeah. Yeah. Or 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 if those roles had not existed, would they have done those things anyway? Mm -hmm. We don't know. It's weird. Like, uh, I always think about this kind of stuff with the military because. You know, there's like American Sniper, I guess, when, in his telling of the story, Chris Kyle, he has that whole bit about like about uh, um, New Orleans after Katrina, where he yeah. said that like he sets up and just started shooting looters, which is just a made up, you know, I mean, it just it probably didn't happen. But like, uh, right. it was a very bizarre story about him basically headshotting looters for yeah and, and to be things like, like that did yeah. happen it, even if it wasn't him who did it that that kind but, of thing did did occur but to take that kind of credit and be like yeah. you know be like yeah that's that was the kind of thing i'm into and then you read all these stories <laughs> about like iraq and people just basically saying oh yeah we just shot anything that moved because mm -hmm. yeah. or vietnam before that kind of stuff like just People who obviously felt like they had complete license to do whatever they wanted. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. you can see that with torture in the military too. Yeah, true. Yeah. yeah, you know, for the sake, for torture's sake, what is that about? Yeah, um, right. But that gets sticky too because you know a lot of those guys, not so much nowadays, but like back in like Vietnam and stuff, like boot camp was pretty much breaking you down. Like I, I know that's mm -hmm. essentially the purpose of it, but I think it's kind of gotten a little bit more lax these days. I, I don't really know. So don't quote me on this, but uh, you know, it, it just gets murky about like how much of this is, is purely coming from that individual and how much of it is like contextually sort of developed, like just sure. being in a war situation. Like, you, you know, if you are, if you're in like a, a unit in Iraq or Afghanistan or something like that, and you're ambushed by these people and you kind of start to develop this, 
hatred of them and you, you you know you just think of the other as like just being like this horde of enemies or whatever like then mm-hmm. the idea of just mowing people down and yeah something and, more amorphous i guess yeah the, hmm. then you, you know it's hard to say that that person is motivated just from some like out of the blue want to do violence like it's it's clearly coming yeah. from the situation they're in and it, it doesn't justify it but it, i'm just saying yeah, like sure but it may the explain. origin of yeah. it yeah. they're not necessarily yeah, right. have like this they're not in the secu- serial killer box in the same way kind of thing, right so. like right. if they were a mailman they maybe not would not have those sure. kind of desires and stuff although maybe that's not a good example uh, <laughs> <laughs> going postal you know <laughs> I mean, that's kind of why I always found Jeffrey Dahmer so interesting. And we were talking about, you know, primary resources. There's so much with Dahmer, whether it's like interrogations or interviews he did while he was alive. Um, And his father wrote a book that I think is out of print now. um, But I have a couple copies of because it's one of my favorites. It's called A Father's Story. And... The, he goes, you know, all the way back before he was born. He talks about the early days of his marriage and, you know, conceiving Jeffrey Dahmer and what life was like for him from, you know, A to Z. Oh. Oops. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> that was my pet. <laughs> well, I of all the here. people I guess to drop curious. into this conversation, uh, so, th- so that was Ed Buck just dropping by. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, somebody's here. Yeah, but anyway, so the the book is fascinating because it it's the closest that I've found. Like you can come to sort of a very zoomed outlook at a person's life and understanding why a person would do something like that. Um, But again, it's like kind of solving a puzzle and that's sort of why it's interesting. I don't know that there's ever a solution or like an answer or anything's ever neatly wrapped up with like a bow, but you kind of get closer to that. Mm -hmm. And also another, another just to really quickly touch on another reason I so interested in Dahmer specifically, but he actively hated that impulse in himself his entire life. And he kind of tried to like numb that with alcohol. He was famously like a hardcore alcoholic and he did a lot of his murders in like blackouts and would wake up next to a butchered body and be like, fuck did it again, Jeffrey. Yeah. 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 Um, But he, he hated it. And he, as much as me or anyone tries to understand it, like he was trying to understand himself too. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he, he didn't ever, at least to my knowledge, come down like where Bundy came down and just like blamed porn or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he was basically like shrug, also don't know. <laughs> like, and yeah. that's sort of how he kind of even dying, he was like ready to die. He's like, I'm sick of this. I hate it. Um, he to the end didn't understand why he was driven to do those things. How many yeah. people did Dahmer kill? I see, I don't know the details of a lot of these things. That it I was just... 17. Um, okay. He wow. he had kind of a long run though, mm-hmm. um, and he was one of those people. I mean, I, I don't know how much I'm just like kind of retroactively reading into this because you know the people who knew him obviously didn't think he had the capacity to do 17 murders, um, but there was a lot that led up to it, and you could see the buildup very clearly in mm-hmm. his behavior and even in like the messiness of his crimes. Um, it, it it almost like. You can you'd read his father's book and be like, oh, of course, right? That's mm. the natural 
that's the natural end point that anyone who lived his life would come to, um, mm-hmm. which is a weird reaction. Yeah, but that kind of brings up something that I wanted to talk about, which was whenever you have a story like this, when you it, it kind of automatically everything in that person's life is going to fit into this narrative of like eventually mm-hmm. he becomes this person and the, and then all these things happen. And uh, I think that's something that can really color the way that we understand this sort of stuff because like what if there's hundreds of kids that have the same basic backstory but they don't end up becoming Jeffrey Dahmer they end up you know maybe they don't end up in a a good way you know maybe things don't go well for them but they don't end up serial killers and without that because we don't look at that right like that's not highlighted we we don't really have that same kind of interest in those stories uh it's hard to say like oh well this is clearly like you know you, you can see all the the stage the is developing. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's so obvious in retrospect, but mm-hmm. I mean, this is always a, this is a problem just with any kind of like history in general. Like it, it's you can always say that uh, you know it's it's so obvious how this led to this led to this, and then that's why this thing happened. But it, it, when it's happening in real time, like it, in the present, you can't just assume that that's how it will play out. Like if you have a a kid that's in the same kind of situation, sure, you're not sure. going to assume that that's good what's going to happen right no and that's 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 kind of also like when when uh donald was talking about um like the the people who were in like state-run um mental health and you know having been hospitalized and stuff like that and kind of the the weird uh rhetorical extremes of everyone who uh commits a crime needs to you know suffer for it versus the people who are like there's no there's no uh, guarantee that anyone who's mentally ill could do violence, but then some of those people doing violence. There's also tons of people who are slipping through the cracks who probably have the same pre-existing mental state um, mm-hmm. and and just have not done anything ever. So there's no reason that, that they would be in that system in the first place. So, right. you know, your yeah. sample size is biased anyway. That was um, something I was thinking about this morning, just um, to briefly like touch on your point. Like, I've, like many people, been in very dark mental places and had, like, very bad depressive episodes where, you know, my life just goes to shit <laughs> because mm-hmm. I can't function. Um, but I never felt like I was on the cusp of murdering someone. Right. Like, even just, like, dialing it back a little and thinking about how I still function. Like, I'm, you know, I hold a job and I have close friends and, you know, I might be in a relationship. But how ma- thinking about how many people who aren't, you know, dealing with this in a, any clinical way and just doing mm-hmm. their, you know, going through their day kind of like chugging along um, without any, you know, oversight. Elena, like, do you I, remember the, um, there, I think this was an episode of uh, Sword and Scale. There was a guy who was maybe like a neurologist or something like that. And um, he was developing some sort of um, criteria to I don't know, maybe it was like to, to check for psych psychopathy or sociopathy or something like that. And, uh, then he noticed that like the chart on top of the pile was actually his. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know the specific story, but I think that, yeah, I mean, the idea of that I think has like gotten picked up elsewhere. Sure. Um, Sure. Yeah. But he was just someone who, uh, you know, like Tom was talking about the, the, 
the predilection was there. Mm-hmm. Um, he just hadn't in his in his own explanation it was that he had like a loving stable childhood so he never there was never any reason for trigger him to, or something to, yeah yeah exactly to start acting out in in uh so, socially inappropriate ways well sure even just about like so sociopathy as it's studied i mean you kind of have two ways you go uh famously you know something terrible happens or you're you inflict you know pain on others, or you become like a Jeff Bezos, right? And yeah, you completely yeah, yeah. use that unfeeling kind of part of your personality to your advantage. So right. it's like two ends of a similar spectrum, but yeah, just a matter of yeah, it goes back to that nature versus nurture thing, right? Yeah, there was one last thing I wanted to kind of bring up to discuss, which was the level of sympathy that any particular case can generate, which I think is kind of interesting. Obviously, many times you feel sympathy for the victims and the victims' families and the communities and stuff like that. But sometimes it's the perpetrator of these crimes themselves that, sure. you know, mm-hmm. this is some kind of sympathy in some way. Like when we were talking about the guy who on the Greyhound who had some mental illness that caused him to do this stuff and then was perfectly fine otherwise, you know, obviously you feel bad for him on some level, right? Like what, whether, yeah, I don't know, you know, people are going to respond to that differently, but on some level you have to feel sorry for him that he had to do that. Sure. But even in a right. case like Jeffrey Dahmer or something where someone has like a, a really bad childhood and stuff like that you there's some element of like oh well without even trying to justify the actions and and everything that takes place later you you feel bad for them or you just having grown up in a certain kind of way that it's almost like they didn't have a chance yeah Um, but then sometimes is another example of that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah for sure um but then there's also other times where people in some kind of weird way like they feel some sort of sympathy with the person as a murderer or, or whatever mm-hmm. the crime is, you know? And uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that's, it's just like an interesting phenomenon because sometimes it will be, I don't know, it reflects different like cultural things that are going on. Like if it's some kind yeah, of, that's also true. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing, one thing that I've noticed uh, when people are talking about this uh, is, is the idea of, you know, we kind of started this with, the idea that like women in particular have this like particular fascination with true crime and stuff. And I I think this is kind of a a goofy idea, but there are people that talk about the, the idea that women are interested in it because they're more like uh, vulnerable to this kind of violence and stuff like that. So it's like more fascinating to them. And I, I, I don't know about that because I I just, I I don't know. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. You're saying like, the argument being that, like, we're more susceptible to being victims. Yes. And, and okay, so, th- yeah. th- therefore, it's like some kind of, like, self-defense sort of a thing. Like you're- I've heard that explanation, like, you know, brought up in the past. But I, I'm, I'm like, like you, I don't really understand it. At least I don't identify that in myself. But again, none of yeah. this makes sense to me. <laughs> so it's hard to say. I don't know if I'm the best, like, I don't know if I'm doing the best self-analysis, but I don't see that in myself, at least. Yeah. Right. It does. It doesn't uh, feel correct to me that that's what's going on with it. And um, I I think that that idea that there that there's some sort of element of, 
you know, I'm learning about my enemy or something like that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I don't know. There, there's some well, kind of connection there with the whole sympathy angle, where especially when people are hmm. are feeling sympathy for the murderers as murderers. Like they, they uh, mm-hmm. like if someone kills a bunch of women or something like that, and it's like a like Elliot Roger, you know, yeah. that kind of a thing. And, you know, most of the people who are, like, pro Elliot Roger are doing it to, like, be a troll and all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't think it's, mm-hmm. like, a genuine thing. But then there are people sure. who, you know, read his manifesto and can, like, identify with some of the stuff that he was feeling or saying or whatever. And uh, so, yeah, I think I think there is something to that on both sides. Like, there is maybe some some factor of women are interested in this because of, you know, there's a greater threat to them from the, this kind of stuff. But it, it just doesn't seem like as the key component, um, even even with all, the whole like sympathy angle, you know? I, well, I'm not going to come down on either side of that, um, you know, definitively, but but it's funny that you, you reminded me of a single person when you were talking about this. One of my <laughs> friend's moms, um, uh, she experienced a lot of, abuse and sexual violence at a young age. And so she raised her daughter, my friend, to be very um, suspicious and vigilant and terrified, frankly, of men uh, mm-hmm. to keep them at arm's distance all the time. Um, so in in that sort of a situation, uh, I think there may be something to that of like, you know, being interested in, in true crime as a way of like educating yourself about the enemy or something like that. Um, but she also was very, the mom is very obsessed with that, that snapped show yeah. <laughs> where, yep. where, where women are, you know, finally getting to a, you know, the way that yeah. it's framed obviously is they come to a point where they just, they kill their husband or their, their, uh, partner or whatever. Um, and and that goes in the other thing that you were talking about, where it's like then then there the sympathy is for the criminal and mm-hmm. not for the for the victims of the crime, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's that's just funny that you, you that this was bo- that both of those were encapsulated in one person in my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's funny and it's illuminating and scary all at once when I think about just on a personal level why I kind of like engaging with this stuff, and I think a lot of it is because I'm like not just sympathy or empathy with the killer, but I'm hardly ever thinking of the victims. And maybe that's Mm. just by nature of how the story is told. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm constantly identifying with the murderer and saying, holy shit, like this resonates with me for some reason. Right. And it's almost, it's like a scary and like exciting activity to realize that like you have that capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and not just like to harp on the capacity for evil and yada yada, but like you can not only see how they got there, but it's a little bit close to like you know you sort of identify and think like, whoa, what would it take for me to get there? Yeah, yeah, right. And mm-hmm. I, like I I noticed this in listening to Sword and Scale specifically, like there's this gesture towards you know talking a lot about or spending a lot of airtime on justice and the victims and the victims families but like that shit is boring to me mm-hmm. and like i don't necessarily i'm not proud to say that but just speaking honestly right. like i want to hear about sure. the killer yeah um and i'm hardly ever thinking about the victims or the impact or anything like that and that's you know that that further confuses me as mm-hmm. to why i like this huh. stuff um when tom was talking about you know just the uh, you know this 
sympathy for the killer and stuff. It made me think of like a lot of the way that in the past few years and stuff, there was this sort of political valence for a lot of crimes uh, that then, you know, spun off into strange debates or, you know, memes and stuff online. I was thinking of like Chris Dorner and mm-hmm. yeah. um, some stuff like that where uh, there's like a sliver of like political relevance kind of to it, you know, and then mm-hmm. um, and then that can kind of spin off into, uh, you know, um, celebrating it in some way or something or, uh, you know, a lot of the overseas kind of stuff sort of blends into that where you have people sort of focusing on different foreign policy stuff, cheering for uh, either side of different conflicts and stuff where they uh, start to get into this weird way of like just, you know, I don't know. I feel like it kind of blends in all this kind of stuff, like where you're 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 showing that you're willing to sort of troll people by supporting the most mm-hmm. absurd stuff, like being like pro-Stalin and all this kind of stuff, you know. And I think for a few years we were, at, at least I was down that road pretty far, you know. Kind of like <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, when you use Stalin as the example, I was like, coming from Donald? Really? Yeah, so, and uh, I don't know, it's just, it's strange to think of that kind of stuff. Like what, yeah, I, like as you said, like I, I would never, I never read like many books about like, Stalin's crimes or whatever in detail, but I've read like his collected works or something like that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like it's like, I don't know. It's just a, it's a strange. Yeah, well, uh, I think it yeah. ties into just like the shock value nature of mm-hmm. this kind of stuff too. And sure. how that for a majority of people who, you know, casually engage with true crime, this becomes like a personality marker that is, you know, bleeds mm. into that shock value thing, right? So, like, sure. thinking, just going back to the stickers on my laptop, even. Like, yeah, how yeah. much of that is, like, ooh, she's dark. She's got yeah. Ted Bundy on there. <laughs> like, I don't think that's yeah, yeah. not the case. Like, I'm definitely sure. playing into that, too. Yeah. Um, as much as it actually fascinates me and, you know, as much as as much sure. time as I spend thinking about these things, there's definitely that shock value part of it. Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's get into the questions, then. Um We'll start with this one. You have such a great cast of guests, especially Leo and John V. How do you end up meeting these people and then getting to know them well enough that they end up on the pod? Basically, how do you make friends on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad people enjoy our guests. Uh, they pretty much always are people that we've known for a, a while, sometimes like 10 plus years, like in the case of Leo, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and john too john uh, known yeah i was gonna say donald tom john and leo all have something in common <laughs> about where they met and stuff <laughs> like that yeah, yeah. do you um, guys find just since like you know molly and i used to do a podcast like do you guys find that people are do they reach out to you to try and come on or are they open to coming on like because we've really never had anyone say no um, I was always surprised by even if I didn't really know a person, how willing they were to talk to us. Specifically <laughs> <laughs> us, but just in general. I think um, I would say like ninety percent of the people that I ask are just immediately on board, and I don't know how many people have specifically requested to come on. At least for me, I think more people have asked about have, have asked Don about that. But not not a huge amount. We we pretty much just keep it to like our friend group and stuff, and kind of mm-hmm. just do that kind of thing. And so, you know, it, it's uh it's kind of just like a little host of regulars that are coming on. There's a few people that I'm like constantly harassing about coming on, and they're just really shy about it. So I'm just <laughs> yeah. like trying like, to yeah. slowly slowly wear them down. 
I mean, I get that the shyness part of it, but I was always surprised just by how open people and willing people were to come on. Even if like, I didn't know them that well, they were just like, sure, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think it's fun for people. I I mean, I know if I was offered something like that, I'd probably be down to do it. So yeah. People love talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, hearing their voice. (laughs) <laughs> but uh just to go back to the question you know they're asking how do we find these people uh i don't know we've just been on the internet for a long time <laughs> you just <laughs> yeah. kind of get yeah. to know people you know um I, yeah i think you need to uh it's just common interest kind of stuff or like following the same news stories and then uh, i always say to people that like get into dms with a group of people that care about the same things that you do so that they will trash talk stuff all day with you like that's kind of the, yeah. that's kind of the goal because uh, then you kind of know them. Other than, because honestly, there's probably like I follow a fair number of people online, but they still a lot of them blur together in different ways because you just you, it's hard to keep track of so many people, all the personalities and stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. it's better to just kind of try to make a friends with a few people, and they'll they'll make make very clear very quickly who they don't like so yeah, yeah that's, that's a good point <laughs> there's no better bond than commiserating too yeah sure <laughs> and actually that that was a topic of a of an early episode making friends online that's right yeah. which so, i think you were on right i think so yeah. maybe i don't know if i listened to it or if i was on it but <laughs> anyway link it in the description for this fellow <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i think one thing is that it's our guests are interesting people in their own right and stuff, but I'm, I don't know that they are like s- some kind of like special group of people any more so than like uh, other, you know, you know, there's probably plenty of people who have like interesting friend groups that would make good yeah. podcasts. You know, it's just that we are, we're, we're doing it. And, and yeah, uh, so. <laughs> that really is the distinction, you know, <laughs> right. it's not like a panel of experts. It's, it's just friends. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, very rarely do we have anyone who knows what they're talking about on here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um Right. So speaking of people I'm always harassing, so someone here says, if you are in contact with Mousegrung, get him on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I I have uh been berating him in the dms long enough like we used to talk all the time in the dms and now he just ignores me because i always talk, ask him to come on the podcast so <laughs> Lose, losing friendships left and right for you people i hope you <laughs> hope you appreciate True selflessness. it yeah uh all right a lot of rightist discourse is predicated on stuff being gay pronouns are gay renewables are gay progressive income tax is gay etc Okay, maybe a generalized slur that stems from homophobia, but these are weird lacunae. Blacks aren't gay, unions aren't gay, except maybe public sector unions. Islam isn't gay, so gay means something, something beyond thing I don't like. What could it possibly be? I have thought about that a lot. I don't have an answer. No, I really have, because like in my mind, things that should just be... I think part of it is things that I think other people should ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, like things that it makes me uh, annoyed that people are even paying attention to I'll be like, and I kind of feel that way, like even uh, like politically, like I'm like, why are people giving these like idiots the time of day? They're so fucking gay. Um, and so I, I don't think that's the entire meaning, but that's at least part of it for me. And I, I have not come up with a sufficient explanation, like part and also part of it is like the, the old Louis CK joke. 
like of the difference between like gay and gay, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I still don't, I still don't know what that is. Do you guys have any ideas? I mean, no, for me, the closest, yeah, the closest I can even, you know, as far as I understand it, like it, it means like corny to me. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, that's Which, also part. I don't of know it. how that happened, but that's that's sort of what I think of. <laughs> I hear it and used in that sense. It's just like I don't know, something's corny. Tiresome yeah, and annoying true. and stuff. Yeah. 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 yeah so. I, I, I am thinking about like in high school when it was just a, there wasn't any like kind of hubbub around like, is this no, an there okay was, like, word no to pushback. say? It was just <laughs> a word. It's funny that you we mentioned used. it though, because I was having that exact thought like last week because I remember constantly calling people faggots like yeah. all the time. <laughs> and I, yeah. I was like young enough that that is like appalling. But I also mm-hmm. remember it being so commonplace that, like, I didn't even think about it. And yeah. I did not even really get scolded for, like, my mom would be like, oh, stop it. You know, but it wasn't, like, <laughs> the appropriate level of, like, you know, don't say that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how, uh, you know, when you use words like that it, in that way, it doesn't really register as, like, I'm referring to, like, homosexuals or something like that. Like, no, that, yeah. that doesn't register at all. But it still, like, means something specific. Like, if you call someone that, you say something's gay, you know, retarded, whatever. These words, like, they – there's some kind of, like – Yeah. Real meaning to them. It's not just, like, a general, like, this is just a negative word I'm using. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, it's interesting to think about. I think the same – whatever that meaning is for, like, the word gay is the same reason that it's prohibited by God. You know, it's, 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 it's God yeah. says it, it's uh, homosexuality yep. is wrong because it's gay, basically. Okay. <laughs> there you go. It's an infallible argument. Um, um, Alana, just the, the fact that like when you were talking about how uh, as a kid, like it didn't even register as um, either wrong to say it or as like semantically related to homosexuality. Yeah. Um, I it was like opposite for me. I remember as a kid, I never said that, and I knew why it was offensive. And I even remember, oh god, I so embarrassing. I, as bad as a, as I am now, like I was worse then. Uh, I remember in like seventh or eighth grade, someone who used to bully me, um, he would say gay a lot. And I remember like sitting him down once and like talking oh, to him. Oh, trying to reach him. Yeah. Being, and well, I succeeded also. Like he, he was like, well, I, 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 the, the way I phrased it was just like, you know, imagine if like, you know, you have brown hair. Uh, imagine, you know, this is a trait that you cannot help. Um, and, you know, I- imagine if that became a slur and people were using it all the time. And, and you know, it was just something about you that, that was, you know, that was just part of you. And it became something so negative. And he was like, oh, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know I what's mean, pretty funny terrible. about that is that that's pretty gay. <laughs> <laughs> that's very yep. true. So then I went through a phase later, like it my later teens where that suddenly became like such a fun transgress transgression for me to call everything gay. And I was obsessed with the word gaylord. I was calling people gaylords (laughs) all the time, like really, really into this. And then I finally like evened out instead of being on one (laughs) extreme or the other, I'm like right in the middle now. Um, So I'm no longer gay. So yeah, that's my story. So Donald, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, just that. uh, So three years ago I had to do like, 
teacher training kind of stuff for when I was a teaching assistant and um, they uh -huh. had like a sensitivity person kind of come uh -huh. in and, like, you know, do the human rights stuff. And um, one of the things that they did, they were like, we had like situations that you had to kind of walk through to kind of know what, what people did wrong and what they should do better. Right. And uh, one of them was, uh, it says, someone starts discussing homosexuality in class. And I was kind of like confused because I was like, wait a minute, like that's that's normal now or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it's not. <laughs> and, uh, and they were like, no, no, no. Calling it homosexuality is like a deprecated uh, medical term. No one calls yeah, it that anymore. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I didn't. I guess I am. You know, like it just it's strange how like. Still learning. <laughs> still, I don't know. Like I thought, I don't know. It's funny because, uh, I, yeah, I, I feel bad in some ways for like old people like having to catch up in some ways. I don't know. Like yeah. just follow mm -hmm. along. So, yeah, anyways. But then you hit a certain age and you can be as racist and awful as you want. Because <laughs> they're just yeah. like, oh, they have dementia. It's whatever. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> but that's that's also like, I don't know, that's a symptom of just gatekeeping to me, which is yeah. also a, a, a very negative behavior that I don't like to entertain in anyone, um, where it's just like, why do you have to keep moving the goalposts? It's just to keep making keep yeah, people on their narrow, toes. More and narrow. Yeah, and be like, oh, now you're a bad person. Now you're a bad person. Why do you have to do that all constantly? Like where there's no actual virtue or harm in the language mm -hmm. itself, you just have to keep making people dance around things. It's it's and and I, I mean that's not to say that I don't understand why the term homosexuality as like uh, an antiquated sort of like um, you know negative DSM yeah, like a uh, fiction, you know sort yeah. of thing like yeah. I understand the objection to that but then to 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 say that everyone who says the word homosexual when they mean like a gay person or a queer person or something like that is now like public enemy number one ridiculous mm -hmm. very silly behavior don't like that at all yeah I, anyway. I mean I just did that I didn't know that was a... yeah what, I was uh, thinking the same whatever thing, but... who cares <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, all right. So we I don't know if we got around to resolving that, but uh okay, so we'll finish with this one. According to the Islamic faith, animals live in accordance with God's law by default. Yet Coco the gorilla was quoted by her handlers as claiming her <laughs> tiny pet kitten claiming Sorry. Yet Coco the gorilla was quoted by her handlers as claiming her tiny pet kitten had ripped a sink out of the wall. Clearly, this is a lie, and as such, it's not permitted by the Quranic faith. Does this imply gorillas need to recite the Shahada in order to become Muslim, or is it instead a powerful debunking of the animal sign language myth? <laughs> oh, I didn't. So, I thought this was mistyped, but that sounds right. Like, the, yeah. the gorilla claimed through sign language that this is what had happened. Yes, that's I correct. I see. Okay. I think that, that 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 doesn't show anything about our laws. There are laws meant for humans and there are laws meant for every kind of creature. That's right. And just because there's a law that says humans, you should not lie, other species that are capable of dissembling and deceit, uh, we don't know what their what their sharia is. So I don't think right. we can say anything definitively about that. Right. Just like there's certain dietary regulations for humans, obviously that can't apply to every other animal. Um, right. And in the same way that animals are considered to be Muslim in that they are submitted to God's will in like a perfect kind of way, like they just don't 
have the ability even to deviate from it. Uh, you can say the same thing about inanimate objects, uh, you know, stars and rocks and water and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like it, it, there's just uh, humanity and jinn that are able to kind of break from that. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's our answer for that. Uh- I don't think that uh, gorillas can talk. I don't. I think that's probably. <laughs> I think they they're probably just you know, they might have like a maybe few broad concepts or something, but I don't think they could lie or anything like that. No, I think that's. I agree with the second part of it that it's just a, <laughs> it's contrived. I don't know. It's like dolphins and all that. No, that's all made up. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. I got tabs this book. I think last Christmas. Uh, that was this this past Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. That was. Uh, it's about like the inner lives of animals and kind of like the most recent understanding of of that. Oh, and that's cool. Talks about like different animals and and things like that. That's really interesting to me. I I think uh I think the basic argument of the book is that the inner lives of animals are much. Uh, more similar and expansive like similar to our own and more expansive than people generally think uh and i don't know i think i think that's really cool it it uh sort of jives with like just how i feel about animals like i want them to be that way so there's a little bit of that <laughs> but, but it doesn't matter what i think so i'm gonna just believe the thing that uh i like so <laughs> Cool. Uh, all right. Yeah. So let's let's wrap it up there. That was a, a fun episode. Thanks for coming on, guys. Yeah. Thank you so much for thinking of me. That was fun. Thanks. Yeah. yeah thank we you. should have you on again soon. Yes, please. Anytime. Cool. <laughs> okay, guys. So if you enjoyed this episode, if you can't win and you'd like a second one every week, you can subscribe to our Patreon and you'll get that as well as access to our Discord where you can chat with us in our lovely community. Uh, if you want to submit an anonymous question for us to answer on the public episode, you can do that by sending it to the Curious Cat, which is pinned to the podcast Twitter account. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again next week.